welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. Sono contenta di dedicare questo disco ai miei ammiratori. Tutte le romanze sono state registrate dal vivo e quindi ripropongono la mia voce così com'è. Realmente ritengo di avere poi maturato maggiormente. Penso che sia inutile ricordarlo a chi mi conosce e mi ha sempre seguita durante la carriera.
Hello, friends. The speaking voice and the singing voice that you just heard belong to one single extraordinary woman, the Italian dramatic soprano Anita Cerquetti. She was born on the 13th of April, 1931, and she died on my birthday, October 11th, in the year 2014, at the age of 83. Though she had a long life, she had an extremely short career. She made her debut in the year 1949 in a student concert, and her final performance came ten years later, when she sang the role of Abigail in Nabucco for Dutch radio in the year 1960. In her career, she made only two commercial recordings, both for London Records, and she tended to be a little how shall I say this, reticent in the recording studio. We will hear a brief sample of one of her commercial recordings, but the majority of the recordings that we're going to hear today are live ones, including the one that we just heard from the Rai in Milano in the year 1956, therefore a little more than halfway through her career. That is the aria O Re dei Cieli from Agnese di Hohenstaufen, a German-language opera set by the Italian composer Gaspare Spontini, whose most famous opera is no doubt La Vestale. This work, Agnese di Hohenstaufen, is but rarely revived, but Cerquetti made a calling card out of this aria. She included it on her 1957 aria recital for Decca Records, a performance which is superseded by the one that I just played for you. In fact, this was the very first example that I heard of Cerquetti's voice. Of course, I had heard of her, but I had never heard the voice until I purchased a CD filled with live excerpts, some of which we're going to hear today the ease with which she rises up the scale to those incredibly powerful, rafter-shaking high notes, the ease of emission, the nobility of her diction and the way that she projects the text, a voice that sounds to me a bit like a steel fist in a velvet glove, if you'll forgive the very old analogy. For the Italian dramatic and spinto repertoire, however, this is absolutely a requirement. These days, when one hears dramatic sopranos, they really can barely move their voices around. Who do you know who can sing like this? This is an example from a complete recording made for the Rai, again the Italian radio, in Milano in the year 1957. It was a complete performance of Weber's Oberon, translated into Italian. And this is the final portion of the aria, Ocean, Thou Mighty Monster, a.k.a. Ocean, Du Ungeheuer, a.k.a. Mare, Superbo Mare. The conductor here is Vittorio Gui, one of many of the greatest maestri of the period with whom Cerquetti worked.
mentioned her nobility of utterance, and I do think that is one of the primary artistic characteristics that sets her apart from nearly anybody else. She really did not sing too much verismo other than an aria here, an aria there, on these Rai concerts that were sponsored by Martini and Rossi. Now, I know full well that Catalani's La Vallée is not really verismo. It's really much more influenced by the Germans and Wagner specifically than it is by the Verists. But who doesn't love the aria Eben ne andrò lontana? And here is Cerriquetti again in a live recording with the Rai Orchestra of Milano performing that very same aria. The conductor here is Ottavio Zino.
There's only one example that I know of, of Cerquetti singing the music of Puccini, although I submit to you that she probably would have been a dynamite mini in Fanciulla del West. For that 1957 aria recital with Decca, she did record a number of chestnuts that she wouldn't have sung otherwise. Certainly one of the least characteristic arias on that recital, and yet sung with great beauty and nobility, is Visidarte from Tosca. In this recording, Cerquetti is conducted by Gianandrea Gavazzeni, leading the orchestra of the Maggio Musicale Fiorentino, with whom Cerquetti scored a number of notable successes. Cerquetti's other recording for Decca was a complete version of La Gioconda, which featured a bang-up cast, 
Giulietta Simeonato, Mario del Monaco, Ettore Bastianini, Cesare Sieppi. I mean, it was cast from strength, from top to bottom. On this recording, Cerquetti sings beautifully, but she is a little reserved dramatically for my taste. I like my Giocondas to have both technical control and absolute fire in their bellies. Think Maria in either 1952 or her 1959 Gioconda recordings, the supporting cast of neither of which is as strongly cast as this one, again, under the baton of Gavazzini. But that recording was made in conjunction with live performances, again in Firenze, at the Teatro Comunale. And although it may not feature as starry a cast as the studio recording, nevertheless, Ettore Bastianini does double duty both on the recording and in those live appearances. I absolutely love the final act of La Gioconda. It's one of the most sublime things ever written, in my opinion. It's got everything. It's got fire and brimstone. It has pathos and it makes enormous demands on the soprano after she's already sung the majority of a taxing role. I know that Callas once said, if you want to hear what I am about, listen to the final act in my second recording of La Gioconda. So, indeed, in this live performance from Firenze on the 7th of January, 1956, Cerquetti pulls out all of the stops and reveals herself to be not just a fantastic voice, but a vocal actor of the highest caliber. We're going to listen to just the final minutes of the opera. Oh my goodness, I almost started to tell the story of what's going on. Anyway, there's a final showdown between La Gioconda and her incredibly evil nemesis, Barnaba, who has come to claim his prize before he hands over her kidnapped mother to her. Little does Gioconda realize that her mother has already been murdered by Barnaba. She adorns herself with all of the trappings of the stage, only to pull out a dagger at that last moment and stab herself, falling dead at his feet. Too late to hear Barnaba tell her that her mother is dead, strangled by him. When he says she can't hear me anymore, most Barnabas let off this sort of... (laughs) It's very unconvincing. But listen to the sound that Bastianini makes, apart from his brilliant singing. Oh man, the two of them together are really dynamite. And the conductor here is one Emidio Thierry, of whom I had never heard before. Oh, my God. 
One of Cerquetti's live recordings that is most celebrated is another performance from the Teatro Comunale di Firenze. A year and a half after that live Gioconda recording, Cerquetti appeared as Elvira in Verdi's Ernani, a performance led by the great Greek maestro Dimitri Mitropoulos, who is one of my great musical gods of the podium. The cast is astoundingly good. It's Mario del Monaco as Hernani, once again Ettore Bastianini as Don Carlo, and as Silva Boris Christoph. Not surprisingly, Mitropoulos reveals aspects of the character of Elvira that one doesn't normally encounter in this aria. He takes a very slow, pensive tempo for the cavatina, and even the cabaletta is not as fast as it sometimes is, and Cerquetti herself sang it in a more rapid-fire performance in a recording with the Rai. But this one, in spite of the fact that it's not as fast, shows more of the poeticism of her artistic personality. So I'm really thrilled to present this to you.
Ernan in volami, followed by the cabaletta, tutto sprezzo che dernani.
Ricchetti had everything it took to sing almost any of the Verdi heroines, the most challenging ones that could leave most singers completely defeated. There are very few singers who have matched her in these parts, and her vocal suitability to each of these roles has arguably never been matched. We're going to hear an excerpt now from a live recording with the Rai again, this time in Torino, of Verdi's I Vespri Siciliani. The part of the Duchess Elena is notoriously difficult, and many wonderful singers have come to grief attempting to match Verdi's vocal demands and the dramatic ones. Certainly one can say that the live recording from Firenze with Callas led by Erich Kleiber is one that just crackles with drama. And if Cerquetti in this live recording from February 1955 doesn't quite match that, she still has all of the coloratura requirements as well as a compelling dramatic presence. This is the scena from the first act of the opera, In Alto Mare, in which Elena incites the Sicilians to rebel against their oppressors. In the cabaletta Coraggio su Coraggio, she tosses off the coloratura like nobody's business. Admittedly, when we hit the stretta, the performance nearly derails, but she gets it back on track and crowns it with a stunning in alto mare battuto dai venti, vedi quel pino incende gli elementi, oh naufragar già presso, ascolti le
that the work of composers such as Cherubini and Spontini, who exist in that never-never land between classical and romantic, are nearly impossible to cast. Would that Callas had taken on more roles like that, other than just Giulia in Vestale, and of course Medea. I'm not sure that Cerquetti would have been an ideal Medea, but she is certainly without parallel in other roles of Cherubini and Spontini. As far as I know, she also never sang Giulia in Vestale, although she would have been one to rank alongside Poncel and Callas. Another of her Maggio Musicale successes was singing the role of Noraime in a rare revival of Cherubini's Les Abonserages, or Gli Abenceraggi, as it was performed in 1956 in Italian translation, under the baton of Carlo Maria Giulini. This was another of the first recordings that I ever heard Cerquetti sing. It's another live performance from the Maggio Musicale in May 1956, and it's a slightly snipped version of the scena Il mio cuore, 
falotai a te, o sante del mio cuore.
Cerquetti died, the headline of her New York Times obituary was not atypically reductive. Anita Cerquetti, opera fill-in, who soared, dies at 83. Well, if you know anything about the careers of Callas or Cerquetti, you know what they're talking about. It's the infamous Rome walkout, which occurred in January 1958. Callas was engaged to sing the title role at a gala performance which the president of Italy attended. She had rehearsed in adverse conditions in an unheated theater and developed laryngitis. And after her first scene, she simply was unable to continue. There was a lot of bad press that accompanied the so-called Rome walkout. Callas instigated a lawsuit against, I can't even remember if it was the Italian press, but there was some lawsuit for defamation of character against a journalist or newspaper or something like this. And eventually, 10 years after the fact, long after she had retired from operatic performance, Callas won the suit. Cerquetti was called in to replace Callas at the subsequent performances of the run. She was already performing the same role in Naples and commuted between the two cities to fulfill her obligation both in Napoli and as Callas's replacement in Rome. Can you imagine having to perform under such strain? And remember that Cerquetti was only 26 years old when this occurred. That second performance on the 4th of January, 1958, was recorded for posterity. And if Anita sounds a little nervous in the Casta Diva, she quickly found her bearing. I'm going to play you two excerpts from that recording. First, the trio that ends the first act of the opera. Norma has just found out that the young priestess, Adalgisa, is in love with the Roman general, Polione, Unbeknownst to Adalgisa, Polione is a bit of a schmuck because he's already been carrying on an affair with Norma over the years, and she has already borne him two children. 
So when Norma finds out that she has just given the go-ahead to Adalgisa to pursue her burgeoning love affair, but then finds out that the object of her affection is the traitorous Polione, she flies into a rage and sings one of the most difficult passages ever written for soprano, A non tremare, in which she lambasts Polione and threatens the lives of their sons. Unlike in Medea, the children do survive at the end of the opera. Then follows the trio, O di qual sei tu vittima, addressed to Adalgisa, telling her how she has been played for a patsy. And then it concludes with the towering Vannessi mi lascia indegno, in which she dismisses them both and vows revenge. Cerquetti is here joined by the tenor Franco Corelli and the mezzo-soprano Miriam Pirazzini. Gabriele Santini leads the orchestra and chorus of the Rome Opera. Thank <laughs> you. 
section just before the final scene, Norma has a moment alone, in which she muses on Adalgisa's promise just made that she will relinquish Bollione and convince him to return to Norma. Brief Shena begins with the words, E tornerà, in which Norma rises to a high sea as she anticipates the return of their first days of love. But then her confidant Clotilde, here portrayed by Giannella Borelli, comes in and tells her that Polione has no such intention, and Norma vows revenge not just on him, but on all of the Romans. Oh, 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 oh,
too often, Anita Cerquetti has been grouped with certain sopranos who had shortened careers because of taking on repertoire that was too big, by overstepping their vocal boundaries, by simply taking on too much too soon. It is indeed true that when one looks at the chronology of Cerquetti's performances, one can see that after the Rome Norma, her live performances trailed off precipitously. And indeed, the final performance of her career was a recording for Dutch radio of the role of Abigail in Nabucco a Verdi. This is one of several roles, including Lady Macbeth and Odabella in Attila, that are considered to be the most challenging roles that Verdi wrote for Soprano. The demands are merciless. Abigail is a role, nevertheless, that Cerquetti sang frequently over the course of her career. I'm going to play you a composite version of the big Shena at the beginning of Act Two, where our anti-heroine discovers that she is the daughter of slaves and not at all the daughter of Nabucco. She recalls a time in her life when she, too, was a gentle, loving soul, but those days are long past and in the Cabaletta, she vows that she herself will take over the throne of Nabucco. So let me tell you about the three different recordings we're going to hear. The Restative is from her studio recording with Gavazzeni leading the orchestra of the Maggio Musicale. Then when we get into the Cavatina, I cut to a live recording with the Rai in Milano from January 1956. That's Anch'io Dischiuso Un Giorno. And then, at the very end, I cut to the Cabaletta from her final performance on the 24th of September, 1960. And I think that you can hear that even at that time, Cerquetti was still in full vocal command of her resources. Yeah. 
almost forgot to even mention that I have a couple bonus episodes that I'll be posting. I'm traveling the next couple weeks, and so these are real... Well, I don't like to say that I throw anything together, but I found two old recordings that David had issued in the 1970s by Historical Recording Enterprises. Two volumes entitled Ten Sopranos in Ten Live Performances. And in those two bonus episodes, you will hear such artists as Calas, Caballé, Leila Genser, Olivero, Scotto, Sills, Freni, Shirley Verrett, all in incendiary and brilliant live performances. So if you'd like to hear those, I think you know what to do, right? Go to patreon.com slash countermelody and you can make your pledge and you will gain access to all of the bonus material. I've been putting out one bonus episode a week for my listeners because I so appreciate their support. And as season four winds down, I'm planning all kinds of wonderful things for the fifth season of Counter Melody. And it's because of the support of my Patreon people that I'm able to keep putting these out there. So please do consider becoming a supporter. Thank you so very much. And now back to the program. So I just want to say a little bit about the mysterious departure of Anita Cerquetti from the world's stages. She did very little performing in the United States. My teacher, John Wussman, told me about a performance that she gave with the American Opera Society of Gluck's Paride ed Elena, and he worked with her as the pianist for that. And uh, I remember him telling me an amusing story that took place in a diner just on the other side of the Holland Tunnel, where he was trying to describe to her what a turkey was. I guess you had to be there. She also performed two different roles opposite Yussi Bierling at the Lyric Opera of Chicago. Ballo in Maschera and Don Carlo. Would that we had recordings of those performances. I can't even imagine what a thrill it must have been for people to hear those two giants singing opposite each other. She sang a lot of Aidas in her career. To me, it's not an ideal Aida voice. It lacks a bit of the suppleness. It lacks a bit of the ease on top. And I don't think she ever really had a genuine high pianissimo, as did someone like Caballé or Scotto. But for roles like Leonora in Forza, or Trovatore, Elisabetta in Don Carlo, or any of the other Verdi roles that we have heard today, she was clearly ideal. According to her Times obituary, she had been scheduled to sing the role of Imogene in Il Pirata in Palermo, directly after the Normas in Rome. But she withdrew from that production, and a psychiatrist, according to the Times obituary, cited the stress of her workload and prescribed sedatives for her. So many people went on to say that she had a nervous breakdown. Many people went on to say that she lost her voice. Many people made up a lot of different stories. But also, 
in that Times obit. There is quoted an interview with Stefan Zucker from 1996, in which she says, I was very tired because I couldn't sleep at night, and during the day I sang. It got to the point where I had absolute need of physical rest. Above all, I needed to sleep. This was from stress, but thank God my vocal cords remained intact and have remained so until today. This is the truth. So many things were said, understandably, because I had left my career at its most beautiful moment. It's only natural that people asked why. And since everyone needed a reason, each one invented his own. Another thing that Cerquetti said, and I saw this in a film called Love's Debris, a very odd but fascinating film in which appear Cerquetti, Rita Gore, Marta Mödel, and a slew of younger singers who were all assembled by the director, Werner Schröter. In that film, Cerquetti herself spoke about the real reason that she stopped singing. She said that she had developed a nervous tick, and you could still see it, you know, with her big, dark eyes. You could see that one of her eyes twitched occasionally, and she claimed that this impeded her ability to sing with complete freedom, and when she could no longer do that, perhaps brought on by stress and the lack of sleep that she also spoke about, she felt that it was time to stop singing, or at least take a break. Her father was dying, she married, she had a daughter, and by the time her daughter was a few years old, and she could consider going back to singing again, she realized that she had found her equilibrium, her peace, her serenity, as she called it, and to return to the pressures of an operatic career at the highest international levels would have simply been too much for her. So she chose to step away and never to return. I first became aware of Cerquetti when I was studying Italian for a month in the city of Perugia. This is the very town where Cerquetti had first studied music, initially as a violinist. And unfortunately, there was one weekend that my then boyfriend and I went to Firenze, and we missed a public appearance of Anita Cerquetti in Perugia, where she lived at the end of her life. She spoke about her career, and two dear friends of ours went to hear her speak. Our friend Frank, who was an artist, did a drawing of her. She had that legendary aquiline profile a Roman nose such as defines the type. And he did the most wonderful drawing of her, and I've misplaced it. I wish that I could find it someday. I hope that it turns up. I'm just happy that I have been able to share her incredible voice and artistry with you all today. I'm going to conclude with a performance of the big Shana at the beginning of Act Two of Ballo in Maschera, in which Cerquetti appeared again in Firenze in January 1957. I would say that she is at her absolute zenith here, just a year before the Rome Normas that might have precipitated the premature end to her career. 
I don't believe I've ever heard a recording of Cerquetti in which she is in better voice. She handles the notoriously difficult ascent to the high C at the end of the aria with such aplomb. I don't believe that anyone has ever surpassed it. This was an artist of the very highest order.
Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.